My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 85 of Legally Clueless Podcast. If this is not your first time listening to this podcast and you're part of the tribe, I really do appreciate you. And if this is your first time ever, welcome. Join the tribe on Twitter, the hashtag is Legally Clueless, and on Instagram at Legally Clueless Podcast. In fact, I want to shout out Womanist Slay KE on Twitter. whose tweet had me laughing for days she said she liked my voice she could listen to me talk about random shit like clouds and atoms (laughs) maybe i should talk about but what do i know about clouds or atoms anyway i just want to start off as i always do by saying thank you for being part of the tribe and for listening to this podcast i'm sure you're going to find the story in this episode absolutely insightful listen to this I have very limited memory of growing up with my dad. And the amount of money he gave us just made me and my mom so mad. We going to high school in total, everything, uniforms, shopping. It was more than 100,000 Kenyan shillings, but my dad only gave us 5,000. Then I used to think that there was something wrong with me that made him leave. And so now my mom is raising me on her own. And then my literature teacher says, you cannot know math and be beautiful. But I will have to be careful so that I don't sound too smart and scare a guy away. Terrified of being single. I don't want to be reminded that no one wants me in their life. When I opened um, his phone, I see messages <laughs> from his ex. I see messages from her and then she's like, babe, are you sure you're fine, babe? Do you want me to come? Because when I was in a relationship with him, I thought we were going to get married. I had postponed me applying to colleges in the US. Parents should just be more intentional. Like when I look at how much my dad not being there scared me. So that story is coming up a little later in this episode on 100 after. African stories. However, before we get to that, following episode 84, have you watched Softy the film yet? Please tell me you have. <laughs> Wherever you are in the world, please, please watch that film that follows the Mwangi family. So that's Boniface Mwangi, who's a photojournalist. I guess you could call him a social activist. And he also ran for member of parliament here in Nairobi in the last elections. And it follows him, his wife, and Jerry, who shared her story, actually, in episode 84, and their kids. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't watched it yet. But if you have, please just drop me a comment on our Instagram page. I really want to hear people's reactions to that film. Away from that, I have completed two weeks of no coffee a couple of episodes back. I told you I had finally decided to kick my coffee habit. My therapist has been telling me to do that for years. I have not been doing it. And the reason that she wanted me to stop is because it doesn't react well with anxiety. And so there are certain lifestyle changes you can do for certain mental health conditions. So coffee, anxiety don't mix well. But I was just like, yeah, I'm not about to quit this thing that I love. (laughs) Until I realized self-care, by the way, is even the hard things that you have to do for the good of your body, for the good of your mind. Officially, I think it's two weeks. I'm not good with numbers. I get a bit confused with numbers, but it should be two weeks. This should be the beginning of my third week coffee-free. I really do feel wonderful. I'm not saying that it has miraculously taken away my anxiety because, of course, there are other things that I do. I've shared the apps that I use. I have a therapist. But I think what's making me feel wonderful is just like, wow, 
I can actually do something like this for myself. It really does feel great. So if you have been trying to quit something or do something that is under the list of difficult self-care things to do for yourself, just take it like one day at a time. It really feels wonderful when you can gift yourself that freedom from whatever it is that you need to kick. On that note, how are you doing? I mean, it has been a very hectic year, COVID, but also possibly on a personal level, you're going through this, that, and the other. And if recording stories for this podcast has taught me one thing, it's that we're all human. The human experience kind of has some form of a balance, I think. There are highs and the highs are beautiful and you must enjoy them because you know the balance will kick in and then there'll be lows. And so when you're going through the lows, it's like, oh shit, 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 shit. But there's always a balance. So then a high will come. You know what I mean? But this has just been a year of mass lows. <laughs> so what I wanted to share that could possibly help you are five mental wellness check-ins that you can do with yourself every morning. So you can either ask yourself all five of these questions every single morning, or you can split it up and do one every morning. So the questions are, question number one, how am I feeling today? And for that question, you're checking in both mentally and physically. So just even how your body is physically feeling. Question number two, what's taking up most of my headspace? This one I've just added into the questions I asked myself in the morning. It's really helped me because I was kind of dealing with a client who's a bit slow in terms of communication and things like that. And I realized most of my headspace and worrying and just getting a bit agitated was being taken up by that, which is something I can't really control. You get the third question is, when did I last eat a whole meal? Specifically for those of us who forget to actually eat. <laughs> Food and a balanced diet is kind of important. And maybe you might want to add in that one, like how or when was the last time you had some water to drink? And then the fourth question is, am I tired? Very important. And then the fifth one is, what will I engage in today that will bring me joy? I have stayed away from asking myself the fifth one because I found that I don't have enough things during the day to do that bring me joy. And sometimes I don't have enough time during the day to do those things like zone out and listen to my favorite song, go on a walk, write poetry. I haven't written poetry in the last couple of weeks because I've just been very overwhelmed with work and etc. etc. I haven't been asking myself that fifth question because I'm just like, ah, I'm failing in that department. <laughs> so yeah, those are five questions that you can ask yourself in the morning and they're just mental wellness check-ins and you're just doing like a check-in with yourself all right so before we get into the story let me share the song of the week which is one of my favorite things right now i'm so excited about this because i posted about it on my insta stories earlier today the guitarist in the song reposted and the actual musician who performed the song viewed my story and i was just like let me tell you i'm going to sleep with my shoes on <laughs> You know that meme for don't touch me, I'm famous. <laughs> so the song is We Were Rock and Roll and it's by Janelle Monae. So yes, she viewed my story. I was just like, I think I think I can die now and I'll, I'll be quite okay because <laughs> I really love that woman. Like I love everything she stands for. I've seen her live in concert once in 2018 in New York and 
I was so mesmerized. I couldn't even dance or sing along to the songs. I was just like, oh my God, like she's so awesome. Anyway, back to the song. It's called We Were Rock and Roll. As much as she's very awesome, what does it for me in the song is the guitarist. His name is Kalindo. I'm so mesmerized by his talent. I found him on Instagram. I follow him and he posts up like short clips of his guitaring. <laughs> so he puts up clips of him playing his guitar and I don't know in this song it feels like the guitar is talking to you there's a point and she's done this in many songs she'll call out his name to be like okay you're up and then he does his thing the guitar in the song especially when he has his solo moment ah it's like it's talking to you I know that sounds a bit crazy but it's I think the only other guitarist who does that in songs as well for me is Polycup from Southie Soul. There are moments in their songs where I feel like Polycup has made his guitar talk. <laughs> anyway, so I'll put a link in the description of this episode to We Were Rock and Roll by Janelle Monet. Look out for the guitarists. His name is Kalindo. Yeah, let me know what you think. And remember, you can send songs that you feel should be the song of the week to the Legally Clueless hotline number, which is also in the description of this episode. On to the story on 100 African Stories. In Nairobi, right now, like as I'm recording this, conversations are being had on deadbeat dads. This was sparked by a story going on in the showbiz side of things here. And so with that context, this story is so insightful because it's about how things you go through as a child, things like an absent father, can affect you or even influence your decisions. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. I have very limited memory of growing up with my dad. I cannot remember ever seeing my dad like in my childhood. I think the earliest memory that I have of my childhood was when I started living with my aunt and my mom and my dad separated. So I have zero memory of my dad especially in my childhood, and only have three experiences with him. One was when I was going to high school. And so luckily I got on scholarship when I was going to high school. And so my mom and I were just kind of, okay, let's see if he'd be willing to support us because he hadn't supported me my entire life. And so we reached out to him and we met in this hotel. Every time I passed through that hotel in town, I can vividly see us sitting there and I can remember what I ate. I ate fries and and this juice I think it was orange or mango because I remember it was yellow or orange and the amount of money he gave us just made me and my mom so mad because me going to high school cost like if you went to high school in Kenya it's expensive and especially if your school insists that you buy uniforms from like one specific place and so what happened is me going to high school in total everything uniforms shopping it was more than 100,000 Kenya shillings, but my dad only gave us 5,000. Luckily, I was on scholarship because I really don't know how that would have gone. That was one memory. The second memory I had with my dad was, I think, either late primary school or early high school. We met up with him. We met in this hotel on Kiambu Road. I recently passed through there and I saw it and it was just, it was so weird. I wanted to cry about it with my friends and it was my best friend's birthday. So I just didn't want to make a big deal out of it. But I remember when we met, the, he had a truck. And then afterwards, he was like, I was like, I want a phone because I'm tired of people making fun of me because I don't have a phone. And then he said, 
oh, when you finish high school, I'm going to get you a phone. Well, he didn't. And the third memory I had with my dad was in high school again. I went to visit him at his place. And then my stepmom was just, she was just mean. Honestly, she left me with her kid. Kid, I don't even know if you think about it because I've never grown up with them. And their eyes burned. And then she had the audacity to go and tell my dad, like, call my mom and tell my mom that, oh, you were so bad at raising your daughter. And you you didn't even teach her how to make the basic of rice. So clearly, I did not have a very strong fatherly parental figure. So I didn't have a very strong father entity in my life. And I remember episodes ago, Adele was talking about like dad envy and how she never had that. I had that big time. I just always felt like there was something wrong about my dad not being there. And for the largest part, I actually blamed myself. I, I just, I don't know. Now when I think about it, I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? But then I used to think that there was something wrong with me that made him leave. And so from an early age, I accepted the idea that there was something wrong with me. And so now my mom is raising me on her own. And my mom, I, I think I should point this out to make things, to make context easier. I come from a low income background. That's why I think you'll hear me mention that a lot of my education has been supported by scholarship. And so growing up, my mom was really hardly there because her job, at some point, her job, she would work from like 1 p.m. into late into the evening. The latter point of my life, my mom has goes to work at around 4 or 5 a.m. and just kind of never home. So I did not spend a lot of time with my mom. So what would happen is my mom would leave me with family members to help. The other man that my mom would leave me with, my cousins were generally pretty mean because they were a bit well off. Then as at that point, my aunt was like the wealthiest person in my family. And because they were a bit well off than us, um, they would make fun of me a lot. They would be mean. I think when I think about my childhood, I can see myself a lot. Like I used to sit at the watchman's house and I would just sit there and cry. And it was a plot. So it was like a lot of people lived there. And so my aunt would come and be like, why are you crying? But then my cousins would be so mean and told me, don't you dare tell anybody. And so I would just like, be like, oh, nothing happened. And so from an early age, I just, I grew up believing like a lot of things are my fault. As me, I was just always, even now in my life, I'm still unlearning it, but I always blame myself for so much shit that happens. Another key part of my childhood is the fact that I was made fun of a lot because of my lead. Now, I fell in, I think, probably class four or five. I fell down when we were rushing to the parade. I think, naturally, I have big lips. So big. They're thick. And I fell down, and I think that kind of made it worse. And people started making fun of me. I'm naturally extroverted, so I didn't want people to say that they were getting to me, but it really, really was. And people would call me my lips, people would call me ugly, and I would try so hard to not, like, to not think about it, or try so hard for people not to notice my lips if I am thinking about it. And at some point, I, I started, I remember I would, like, bite my lips when I'm talking to people, bite my lips in pictures. So that my lips don't look as big. But it really never changed much. And there was this guy in primary school. He was so mean. Akiwa. He was always making fun of my lips. He was always making fun of me. And I was a prefect. And at some point, I literally was like, if you don't make fun of my lips, I wouldn't write you in the noisemakers list. People in my class would sometimes say that, oh, if you don't have the blackboard duster, you can wipe the board with your lips. And at that point, I am young. And... It hurt. People would also make fun of me because I was generally slim. I did not eat as much when I was a child. I honestly don't think it was a disorder or anything. I just didn't like food at that point. And so people would make a lot of fun 
especially my aunt's mother, aunt who I used to live with, the mom to my cousin, she would be like, oh, look at like my collarbone. She'd be like, oh, look at how slim you are. You, I'm telling you, if I was to go to the bathroom, I would use you as a soap holder. Like someone can literally put soap on your neck and it doesn't fall. And it was repeated so many times. And so I always thought that I had a problem because of all these things. And when I started like thinking more concretely about my dad, I was like, maybe my dad knew that I would end up being ugly and end up having big lips and, and I'd be slim and I would be too much. And that's why he left. Uh, first forward to high school. Um, I think I mentioned that I, I was on scholarship in high school. And in high school, we used to have these things where church people, I don't know if it's it used to be like so funny because this guy for church, he would come and he'd be like, you know what, today we're going to break any ties that people have. Today we're going to pray for people. And then people who had stolen clothes would return. It used to kill me every time. People who had stolen clothes, they would be like, because my school, there was so much theft. So people who had stolen clothes, they would like pretend them and then people would change. And during one of those periods, that was one of my first encounters with God, although I would later become more serious with him in my life later on. But during one of those periods when he was praying, I just started crying. And I cried. And I cried so much. And then in high school, I gained weight. So puberty hit. Puberty came with its good things such that I was finally thick. And finally, I had a collarbone that you cannot put soap in. So now... In my childhood, people had made fun of me because of me being too slim. Now, people are making fun of me because of my ass and my lips. And there was this one time, it was in literature class. Um, we were doing um, The River and the Stars. I really love that book. I love books that have female characters. Um, like the lead characters are female. And so we're doing The River and the Stars. And we're talking about um, the theme of feminism and male chauvinism. And then our literature teacher says, you cannot know math and be smart and be beautiful like god cannot bless you like that and i used to sit at the front of the class because i have really bad eyesight and he goes like you do you think you're beautiful <laughs> talk about being called ugly in front of the entire class and the reason why he said that is because i generally did well in school i think that's that's one thing i'm grateful for i think for me academic has often been something i ran to Although I think I kind of had a dysfunctional relationship of using it to validate myself. Yeah, I'm learning that in the last two years also. He made that comment based on the fact that I used to do well in school. And, and in my mind, I'm like, okay. So self-esteem issues hit. And I confirmed it. I was like, you know what? You're the smart, ugly friend. Even when I used to go to functions, like I did not think any guy would talk to me because I was beautiful. I was just always like, a guy will either talk to me because I'm smart, but I will have to be careful so that I don't sound too smart and scare a guy away. So it was always like that balance. Every time I go to functions and guys are talking about, are talking to me, and I want to talk about like all the dope things I've learned recently. I want to talk about like how amazing the river and the source is. I want to talk about the plot of the Caucasian shock circle and how it influences society. But I cannot. Um, you can listen. You cannot be ugly and then make a guy feel weird because you're too smart. But that was the mindset that I had. So in my mind, it was it was so always so weird for me in functions. I I liked them because hey, I was getting out of that school, which was not the finest place enough. But at the same time, it was generally a lot trying to juggle between don't say too much, don't talk too much, don't sound too smart, but also know you're not that pretty. So they're ish ish doing your favor. 
by talking to you. And high school came, high school ended. I, after that, thank God I did well in high school because I got a job with Equity Bank. Equity was the same bank that paid for me high school. And so then afterwards, um, Equity gave me a job, um, gave me a job at the branch. And finally, I had a decent amount of money. Oh, that felt good because because of my mom's general level of income, I had lacked a lot of so much and I also remember in high school like I wanted to fit in so much I felt like no one wanted to have me in this I often felt like people were doing me a favor by talking to me or by having me in their circles because like if my own dad like thought I was a lot my own dad did not want to have me why would people be doing that so and especially because of the money factor I felt like I generally struggled to fit in because as much as it was a scholarship the stipend wasn't that much so after high school I was like I need a boyfriend like my entire high school the one time a guy talked to me bam I made a wedding card that guy was called Victor I made a wedding card and I edited it on Publisher because I was getting married and it was just one. We never saw each other again and he wrote me a mail. And I think I saw him in a function. I was like, wait, that's the guy I'm crushing on. Okay, I was like, says, nah, we, we're not doing that. After high school, that period, I was like, hey, finally, we are getting a boyfriend. I wanted to get a boyfriend because now, I think subconsciously it was because I wanted to feel validated. I wanted to feel like one person actually wants me in their life. Now, that's a pretty stupid mindset of getting a relationship. I'm literally going to call it stupid because that's what it is. Because when you are walking into a relationship saying, I want to validated by someone, you don't place your value on someone validating you, honey. Like, uh-uh. But then that was, that was the main reason, like, hey, someone wants to have a relationship with me. They're ugly, talks too much, too confident. They don't know this, but kind of messed up emotionally. Me. And I... I dated this guy for an averagely short period of time. We did not like each other that much. There was no chemistry. We had known each other through high school because he was in uni when I was in high school. But through him, I met my the ex. We're going to call that ex Mr. X. And this ex was going to end up to be one of the most toxic people that I would ever know being with him I, don't, I think it was important it was important because when i was going through healing my experiences with him shaped a lot about finally when i think about like what do i want in a partner so i met him over new years i graduated high school in 2016 yes so um i met him when we were ushering in 2017 it was at mountain mall there used to be a club on top so I had gone there with my current boyfriend and I met Mr. X and we talked. We had a good conversation. Honestly, now I think we had like legit potential to be good friends and we were good friends for a while. And afterwards we exchanged numbers and all that. And then a few weeks later, he was like, he asked me, I think he was trying to ask another chick to be his girlfriend, but then he was thinking of asking me to be his girlfriend. So he asked me first. And then when I said like, oh, see, I'm with your friend. Then he went and asked the other chick. So now both of us were in relationship. When my relationship ended, his was still going on. That, that is when just things started going south because that was around that period when he called me to bail him out of jail. I have bailed someone out of jail and I've never been to jail myself. I think he went partying and then the neighbors called the police. And then he called me and because I was working, I had like a decent income coming in. And so I sent him the money and that was that. 
she was so bad at returning money. And then life kind of went on. I was still in that single phase, kind of trying to make things work with people because I was very scared to be alone. I think if that has not been obvious so far, that was a very key fact of 2017 and early 2018 for me. I was terrified of being single because I was like, I don't want to be reminded that no one wants me in their life. Like, knows and so around that period there's this one time we met up to hang out i think it was at his friend's place because i don't think like i ever had like a decent place now i'm thinking about it in retrospect and so we met up and then we made out and that was supposed to be a red flag because if he can cheat on her with me he would probably do the same to me when we later started dating and that happened and you know what? I was like, okay, fine. That's the past. The job came. So my internship lasted for eight months, eight, nine months. That's how long it generally lasts. And I started, um, I went to Eunice. I went to Georgia. So I went to Jayport and then now he was in KU. So we were a bit closer. We were still like talking. Oh, when I was at work, I forgot this key detail. When I was at work around August, it was the last few months of my job. He called me one day and then he's like, she broke up with me. And I'm like, I am so sorry. And I really just tried to be a supportive friend. I just wanted to feel like I was a good friend to him. But like, I'm so sorry. I tried to be continuously there for him every time he wanted to call. I am not a very good texter, but I would try to text. So when I went to uni around September-ish, we started dating in October. That relationship lasted one month. <laughs> so it had such a huge impact in my life. It lasted one, it lasted one month or like a month and a half. So we started dating in October. And there were signs. Actually, there were signs that this thing was not going to work for either of us because it was generally a very I do not remember very good honestly I like going out that's one thing about me I like going out now that I can afford it ish I really do I like going to restaurants I like going to park I know it's just it's something about me I really like going to like different places and experiencing the beauty but then when I would tell him He'd be like, oh, why are you being a slay queen? But then, actually, that's why. Until now, they actually do have a problem with the word slay queen because they decided it's so much in my mind. I'm like, I actually want to be a slay queen because what would happen is he would make it seem like it's so bad of me for me to want to go to places. As in, it'd make such a big deal of it. It'd make me look materialistic for actually wanting to go to places. So we never really went out or anything. And I remember, like, two occasions, he was drunk. He used to drink a lot. Whew. And around my birthday was in my birthday is on november 11th and so on my birthday a friend of mine who had been friends with since primary school he left kenya when we were in form three and he he went to the uk and then he was like i'm so sad i'm not gonna get to be there for your 18th birthday i was 17 this period for your 18th birthday and so he offered to buy me cake and my friends and i wanted to go to this club in dry i do not know if adele you know it it's called roxy but then he wanted me to go to this club on used to be at this i've been away from kenya for a while so i'm struggling to remember the names of these clubs but he wanted us to go to this club it was close to jake watch because he wanted his friends to come but i'm like i thought it's my birthday i want my friends to be there but then he's like no if you want to go there like you're gonna it's like you're excluding my friends i'm like can't they pay fair to utawala like it's my 18th birthday i feel like i should get to decide but i want to go for my birthday like my friends are like honestly if you choose to go to the club that he wants you to go to we're gonna stop being friends with you because they were like why are you making him but like why does his opinion count so much over what you actually want 
to go to and so we ended up going to Roxy now the day before my birthday so the day before I turned 18 I we went fighting with him we went fighting in this remote place Aki was far you take like three my tattoos actually gone but it was a house party and so we went there and so the next day i was not like with my friends when we were getting ready for me to go to my birthday when we went for the birthday he didn't have money which is weird because he used to drink a lot he didn't have money to drink at my birthday and so he was like how much do i have i was like okay i have this amount he was like okay i'll just top up and before he went he was like because i don't have a lot of money to buy this at club what I'm going to do is I'm going to pre-game. And he pre-game did some hubs. So by the time we got to the club, he was pretty drunk. So my birthday happened. And all my friends got drunk other than me. I am not the best drinker on earth. So I try to avoid drinking as much. Because I get, I get drunk really fast. Him and my friends were drunk. And I had noticed that when we went to my place for me to get ready first to go to the club, I noticed that he took a phone call in like the corner of the corridor. At that point, I was like, you know what? It's probably like something maybe he doesn't want to bother me. And so I didn't really think much about it. But then around 4 or 5 a.m. I was like, okay, we need to get home. All these people are drunk. So which means it's not my responsibility to get them home. I don't think anyone here has enough money for an Uber. So I started thinking about like ways I can get them home. So I took his phone. I don't know if I knew the pin to his phone or if his phone wasn't unlocked. I'm very uncertain. And when I opened um his phone, I see messages <laughs> from his ex. So you remember like the chick he broke up with, the messages from her and she's he saved her in her three names because he thinks I don't know her three names. But am I really a girlfriend if I don't know my boyfriend's ex's three names? And so I see messages from her and then she's like, babe are you sure you're fine, babe? Do you want me to come be there with you? I don't think she knew that he was at the birthday of the person who was supposed to be his girlfriend. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, so they're calling each other, babe. And I was so mad. I got them home, so I ended up taking him home. So the main reason I was taking his phone was because I wanted to call his friends. So that his friends would meet us at Bypass so that they could take him because they lived around close to KU and my friends lived in Georgia. But then I just ended up taking him home and like, when like the cookie kutcher when dawn came i just wanted to leave i was so hard i was so mad i was i was really mad like i ignored him the entire day and then finally he came so i went to my best friend's place one of my best friends she is in ku and so when i went to stay with her i'm like i don't want to talk to mr x uh, like imagine you should have with her he's like and the way he usually talks trash about her and how bad she is and how she hurt him how would he do that to you? And I was like, I really don't know. And finally, he ended up coming to my best friend's place because he knew where it was in KU. And then he was like, okay, like, let's talk. And I was like, don't even dare lie to me. Because as much as we're not very good at dating, I am your friend and I can read it when you're lying to me. And he told me that a few weeks ago, they had gone for a trip. His class had gone for a trip to Coast. And they had made out. And I was like, I thought I asked you if she was going to be in that trip. And you told me it was only for your ear group. So she was one year group behind him. And then he's like, I, I I didn't want you to react okay i see so you didn't want me to react and then you made out with her and then he started telling me like they're thinking about getting back together who is the fool me we broke up the next week and how i deal with breakups i usually say we just need to make it through one day without talking to the person then you just need to make it through one week, then one through, then through one month, and then we're done with them. But I couldn't do that with him. Like, for just some weird reason, he kept on staying in contact. And I think if there's one thing this guy knew, is he knew he had control over me. And he had control over me because I placed so much of my existence and my validation on him. I don't know, just, I think when I remember that relationship, it, it showed the level of emotional manipulation because that day when you're telling me about him cheating, 
he started telling me about his childhood trauma and now when i think about it, he was literally trying to emotion- emotionally manipulate me by making me see that he had gone through worse things than i had gone through 2018 came start of 2018 was really crappy for me because when I was in a relationship with him, I don't know, I don't know why I thought, I thought we were going to get married. I had postponed me applying to colleges in the US, I had missed my early admissions, um, deadlines. And so I was, I was trying to apply on regular admissions. I did not get into schools. I started becoming depressed. I was continuously sad. I would self-harm or sometimes think about it. Sometimes I would walk on the road and think, oh, what if a car hits me here and now? And so when I applied to the uni that I'm currently in, I applied for, to it because I was like, you know what? We have so many things we're guilty of. I'm mad at myself that I made my dad leave me. For some weird reason, I blamed him cheating on me on myself. And I was like, you know what? We cannot add to the list of things we're blaming ourselves for. So I applied to that college. Just I just don't want to be mad. I In my mind, I was like, I'm not going to get in. It's an amazing school and I'm applying to get in on full aid. That's impossible. I was so sad. Now when I think of it, I was like, I used to cry myself to sleep almost every day. But then I would laugh with people the entire day. So not a lot of people knew what I was dealing with at that point in my life. And then I got into the school. So I am an undergrad at Chelsea University, which for me is the dopest university on earth. You don't have to agree with me, but for me, it is such a beautiful space. It's a small school. Everyone, like, there's such a strong level of community, and it's something I'm very grateful to God that I got to go there. And so when I went to a chassis, I was suddenly, so when I was in Kenya, the money had saved and I was working had kind of run out. So I was constantly stressed about cash because... I would be managing on 100 Kenya shillings at this at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and airtime. So I did sometimes more often I did one or two meals at this. So I would have money to be able to buy airtime. And so when I went to a chassis, I suddenly wasn't dealing with cash issues because I got in a full package, so stipend, food, plane, everything. And so I had to confront things that I was dealing with. And I noticed that this was a problem when on this particular day I went to a rooftop. My school has so. I don't want to say my school is in Accra because we're not exactly in Accra, but my school overlooks Accra. So I'm just going to take that as my school being in Accra. And so um, I went to this really high building to just kind of enjoy the view. And when I was there, I thought about dying and I wanted to die. I wanted to jump on a very serious note. I wanted to jump. I was like, you know what? Clearly no one wants to have you in their life. Clearly you're abandoned. All these things just kind of validated. And I think that's the thing about depression and I think anxiety. Your brain finds very good reasons why you should do things that harm you. And I was like, imagine how you would do everyone a favor if you just left this world. Clearly, I didn't jump. But I called my best friend, best friend that I still had, even on I'm the one that I went to in KU. And I was like, I think I have a problem at this point. Baby, I, I have to get help. I had been trying to see therapists in Kenya, but it did not work. I think adult, recently you were talking about um like how you struggle to relate with very Christian therapists. And I think that's something that's true for me too. I, I am a Christian, but I think when it comes to therapy, I want someone who will literally sit down with my pain and what I'm dealing with and cut through it like step by step. And not just let me pray about it. As much as I will ultimately pray about it, I want to have like a detailed way that I'm dealing with this pain, a proper functional way that I'm dealing with this pain. So the therapy in Kenya hadn't worked a thing. So when I, I started seeing a therapist, my school has like three therapists. 
and I started saying one and she just broke down all my pain and I had so much anger for my dad. I used to say that when I think about the anger that I have for my dad is like a ball of fire that can destroy and burn down everything. That's how much pain I had. I was angry at my mom. I was angry at myself. But a lot of these things fell back to the trauma I had gone through as a child where I had felt worthless. I had felt like I did not have any value. And so, yeah, therapy happened. It's one of the best things to ever happen to me, honestly. And then um, I, my relationship with God, now kind of working on it more concretely, was my therapist. She's a Buddhist. But um, she took leave, and then um, the person was substituting for her as a Christian. She used, you know, the old Christian responses when dealing with pain. But I think because at that point I had dealt with a huge part of my pain then, it kind of worked, and I started working on my relationship with God. That, that was late 2018, and it has been the most beautiful journey of healing that I can honestly think of. I have grown, I have gotten better at loving myself. Remember the first time I went a date on myself, I wanted to do everything that my ex used to tell me used to make me a play queen. So I went to a coffee shop, and then afterwards I went to watch a movie on one day, and then afterwards I went to Burger King in Ghana, and I had the most amazing burgers ever. That, that was like, those were the first few months of me just trying, you know what, we're going to have to start loving ourselves more concretely because clearly placing our value on people and things doesn't work. Um, fast forward to 2020, it has really been beautiful. I think um, one of the things I've noticed about pain is when you finally get to a healthy space, it starts to show. It really starts to show because when I started dating my current partner, I would sleep over and I would have nightmares and I would jump off the bed. I have never had nightmares. Like they have never been my thing, but I would have nightmares and I would scream. I think we even freaked out his roommate at some point and I would scream and I would jump off the bed. And if he didn't wake me up, I think there's a day I almost hit a wall. And when I went to my therapist, she told me it's because you have had so much pain. But finally, when there's a burst of fresh air, your body doesn't know how to process it. So your body assumes that this new experience is going to be like all the former experiences that you've had, but then you have to let it take time. You have to be patient with yourself in adjusting and healing and knowing that you actually deserve to be in a healthy, functional, non-toxic growth space relationship-wise. Um, I think the biggest lessons that I've learned through this entire experience, and I guess why I'm sharing this, is you have to sit down with trauma name your trauma as in it's something even up to today i try to do even when i'm struggling with things at home i try to name to name them and truly be able to understand them and i think also something else is you really aren't your trauma my my best friend when i was depressed ironically my best friend was also depressed when i was depressed so both of us, it was like, who is in a good space today to carry the other one? I remember she once posted this thing that some of us are so attached to our trauma that we do not know the identity that exists out of it. And that really spoke to me. I believe that I was one of those people at some point. Like I was the chick who was left by her dad, which had body issues. But I really, I am not my trauma. And that is the truth. I am things that I choose. I am a Christian. I am a feminist. I am a friend, a partner. And these things matter more than the trauma that I have gone through. So I'm going to choose to create an identity bigger than the things I've actually gone through. I think the most important lesson throughout this, especially ever since I was a child, and I wish I had known it, is 
your value is not set. And I, th- I mentioned a dysfunctional relationship with my academics because my value isn't set on whether or not I have a 4.0 GPA. My value isn't set on what my parents say like. My value isn't set on what they say, on what they do. My value is constant on every single day. I am worthy of the spaces I'm in. I am loved. I am special. I am beautiful nothing fluctuates that. I think that has really helped me to develop a thick skin. Like when people say mean things about me, I'm like, okay, you're done. Good. Now let's move on. Because my value doesn't fluctuate on what, on what people say about me. And I think that's a really, really huge part. And like, just parents should just be more intentional. Like the next time you're having sex with someone and none of you is on contraception and y'all are not wearing a condom. When I look at how much my dad not being there scared me, I think it's something I've learned is you really need to be intentional when we bring another human being to this world. I'll often say, if I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids, honey, we are doing therapy for like an entire year before we even start trying because I cannot carry another human being and scar them because of my own experiences and because of my own pain. I think that it's something I wish people would get more cognizant about. It's just not about you. Not having parents creates a gap. It does. And I get so mad when people like, trivialize it and they're like you still had one parent that probably didn't have none yeah i know but that does not invalidate my pain that doesn't invalidate my questions and that doesn't validate how i feel i think that's just something super important for people to remember and even us as we're growing up and thinking like in 10 15 years getting kids kind of think through it more you just don't bring another human being into this world and scar them Catch more african stories in the next episode of legally clueless oh man That story was so insightful. And one thing I love about doing this podcast is that the space can have storytellers from wherever (laughs) you are in the world. She's in one of my favorite places, which is Accra. Well, the outskirts of Accra, she said. And then it's also so magical that her story is relatable, not just in Ghana or in Kenya, or on the continent, but really globally, especially when you're looking at things like absent fathers, deadbeat fathers. And I've spoken about this on the podcast in an episode, I believe, with my best friend Val, because we both didn't have present fathers. So Val's father is alive, but and she's mentioned this on the podcast, they don't have the best of relationships because of how he had treated her mom and other things. And my dad is dead. He died in 2007 but my mom and dad separated when i was in class five or six so primary school and my dad was also physically abusive to my mother even after the divorce he did not do anything to help my mom in raising us an aunt of mine although i don't think she should have in hindsight i'm like you really should not have been telling me this because you don't want to like cause rifts in the family but she did say that during the court proceedings for the divorce my father tried to deny that we were his kids and i remember i don't know maybe it's because my mom brought me up in a way that we had very honest and open conversations so even that statement i didn't react to it like why the hell doesn't he want us i was just like man this guy is still ridiculous like (laughs) It's not changed. Like, what the hell? In terms of how that affects you, because I think the storyteller did such a good job of showing how her anger about her dad's absence kind of fueled her in a particular direction. For me, what I found 
as much as I don't have dad envy when I see people who have present fathers and good relationships with their dads, how my dad being absent affected me was money. So to me, money, and I'm still trying to figure out what it stands for for me, it's freedom, it's the absence of control. So I subconsciously feel like my mom was able to up and leave my dad and leave this abusive marriage and not have to rely on him because she was making her own money. And so, which is 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 a great thing for any human being to want to be self-sufficient and want to be independent financially. But I think where it poses a maybe not a problem, but it's like <laughs> whatever that word is. <laughs> Is when a man in my life who I trust, love, respect, whatever, all of those things, wants to help me with money. Oh my God. For me, it instantly becomes or is translated to this guy wants to control me. So as much as I don't have dad envy, I definitely think that whole situation just made my relationship with finances. It, it influenced it. In some aspects, it's good because as I said, it's good to be financially independent but i don't know i'm still navigating it let me just leave it at that <laughs> i'm still navigating that relationship with money and then in terms of growing up in a home where like my dad would physically abuse my mom in front of us sometimes well most times i think i and this is only through therapies like learning that you subconsciously define that as an extreme of a relationship so you you now desire the extreme opposite. So a relationship where there are no disagreements, everything is rosy, na na na. And so that's what you want. And you falsely believe that you can have a relationship where the two of you will never disagree on anything. Yani your opinions will just always be in sync, which does not make sense. Like it's it's not the reality. You will have disagreements, but it's about how you communicate that disagreement. I think for a while I battled with that where any form of disagreement, like just an example, we're going for movie night. I want to watch movie A, he wants to watch movie B. And we have to have a conversation about, okay, so which do we watch? That for me, I'm just like, why are we disagreeing? Why are we disagreeing? Why are we disagreeing? Oh my God, oh my God, this is how it starts. Like we're not on the same page. If there's any sign of disagreement, Adele is ready to run. It doesn't matter how trivial the disagreement is. Thankfully, I'm aware of that. It doesn't mean that I'm not aware of red flags. We just have to be so aware <laughs> of how our experiences in our childhood affect who we are today. So even with my niece, I'm just like, oh my God, we really have to make sure that we, obviously we are not perfect, but we, we do right by this girl just so that it doesn't give her more hours in therapy when she's an adult but anyways those were just my thoughts when i recorded the story and even producing this episode i was like oh my god it's it's interesting how childhood experiences really do affect you and so that story was actually by a member of the legally clueless tribe she recorded a one minute story demo sent it to the hotline number and then we set up a day and time and recorded her story so you can share your story on this podcast as well all you have to do is send a one minute way some full sent 
10 minute long story demos. I'll still listen, but Jamini, one minute. Just basically telling me an overview of the story you want to share. And you can record that on your WhatsApp audio note and then send it via WhatsApp to the hotline number, which is plus 254-768-628-790. I have not memorized it yet, the number. I was reading it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so send send the story demo and then we'll we'll take it from there. You can also, if you listen to a story in any episode and you resonate with it, just the same way I've really resonated with the story in this episode, you can record an audio note and tell me what aspects you resonate with. Hi Adele, I'm listening to episode 70 and I can relate with that uh situation of being angry at people because uh, they don't understand your grief and uh, they're just continuing with their lives as if uh, nothing happened i i went through that a lot like uh, more than a year thank you so much for sending that audio notes i think i just feel so much warmth inside when you find something on this podcast that you can relate with and makes you feel less alone. Do remember that this podcast plays on Trace Radio in Kenya every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9am and at 8pm. So to listen, just go to traceradio.co.ke. You can stream on that website, but you can also get a list of all the frequencies. So wherever you are in Kenya, you can listen or tune in the old-fashioned way. If you're new to this podcast, new episodes go out every single Monday. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode. <laughs>